So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. I'm here with my good friend, David Hampton, both of us in Tennessee, but in different municipalities, joined together, talking together, and with our guest today through the magic of the worldwide interweb. How are you doing there, David? I am doing well. I'm thawing out, um, which is great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we have endured Uh, uh, the Arctic blast that came through Tennessee. I'll tell you what. Go ahead. I'm packing yeah. up. I'm leaving. I'm leaving tomorrow for Florida. Well, yeah, you're getting the hell out of Dodge. It just period. Yeah, I, I envy you down there, back to the uh, the warm climates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down, down to see the grandkids, and then down to see a bunch of Samson guys. Ah, uh, so, that's great. Yeah, I, yeah. Looking forward. I'm going to meet with guys in Lakeland and in Orange City and in Satellite Beach, and I think in Jupiter. And, oh, nice. And then take a side trip up to Roanoke, Virginia, early March, uh, to speak at a conference there for a group called Noble Warriors. Okay, yeah. That's going to be an interesting thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and last week, I was up in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, which is uh, Pennsylvania Dutch country, uh, uh, at uh, a film studio with some other great people. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing a series of videos on uh, porn and sex addiction and recovery mm-hmm. uh, at church leaders, uh, pastors and church leaders, trying to explain it to them. Do they uh, need that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I did some, you know, some hypothetical work. Yeah, I, got, know, I was uh, going to say that you must have had to just really uh, become a fiction writer yeah. or something at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the off chance that a pastor might have a problem, <laughs> what might he do? Or some hints on how to talk about it from the pulpit. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that was that was fun, and I did something I haven't done in a long time. I actually took a train here in the U.S. I've taken what well, I'm used to traveling by train elsewhere mm-hmm. in the world, but it's been a mm-hmm. long time since I've been on an American train, other than just a you know a tourist excursion on an old steam train. Yeah, yeah. But so how, this how was is, that? That was. It was kind of like, to be honest, it was kind of like a third world train, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, having been on ultra modern trains in China right. and in Europe, right? Yeah, that whisked oh, you out and yeah. yeah, 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 clattering through. Yeah, so I flew into Philly and mm-hmm. then took one, you know, uh, sh- short rail uh, out into the main station in downtown and then took an Amtrak out to Harrisburg. Mm-hmm. But it it was, um, yeah, it was leisurely. Anyway, I didn't have to rent a car. I didn't have to fight traffic. I got to, yeah. you know, I got to sit in the car and do the thing. Yeah. So that was good. Yeah. And uh, let me see what else we got going on. Oh, we have opened up registration, David, for this thing. This is the highlight of my year is the walking retreat the Samson mm. Society does in England. Yeah. Uh, so this year, this year we're kicking it off with two days in Oxford to do an Inklings tour. The Inklings, oh. of course, is that that literary group that included C.S. Lewis and J.I.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. So we'll tour the places where they used to hang out, and we'll go to the the Eagle and Child pub and do all that kind of stuff, and oh. then uh, and then take a train into the Cotswolds, where we will walk and talk for a week through some of the most beautiful countryside in the world. We'll stay at inns and, uh, Oh man, ah, that is uh, awesome. What, what are the dates of that? What are the, that's, times? that's June uh, 8th to 15th. Uh-huh. 
And if if a listener would like, this is unfortunately this is only for guys, uh, but if a male listener would like, uh, and it's filling up quickly, and it, and and uh, we it's only a group of ten, and we already mm-hmm. have seven guys. And uh, but if this sounds appealing, you got to move fast. Just shoot an email to uh, positive sobriety podcast at gmail dot com, and I'll get you a link to the registration page if it's oh, not yeah. already full. Yeah, yeah. Boy, that sounds like a um, a beautiful time. I know that's your like your big favorite. Uh, oh, I you love know, it. absolutely the, love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I uh, have to think if I went on the Inklings tour, I would leave a better writer. I mean, I just because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Does it rub off? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know. I I find that I start to pick up a little bit of a cultivated English accent, British accent, when I oh, okay. while wandering around Oxford University. <laughs> it's 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 pretentious and terrible. But uh, yeah, smoke I'm a pipe of... and uh, have some. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, wear a lot of tweed and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm grateful that now I can go to pretty much any pub in England and they'll have an they'll have a an alcohol free beer on tap. Yes, that is um absolutely, yeah. They're that yeah. they're all getting very progressive with all that. So Yeah, so I'll still have the full pub experience. I've already done it once. I've done an alcohol free uh walking retreat in England. Looking forward to doing it again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. And it's exciting, uh, the things you're filming right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I do think, I mean, I joke about it, but I really do think that's a very, um, serious need. Um, not just because pastors also struggle and they're quiet, uh, about Mm -hmm. it because they don't know who to trust, who to tell, but also because of the way they articulate, um, that type of, um, of circumstance to the congregation and to the people that come in and counsel with them. And yeah. Yeah. Not to ever mention it from the pulpit sends a very powerful message that says it's mm-hmm. not something we can ever talk about in church. And the fact right. is, I'm convinced that almost everybody out there sitting in the pews is in one way or another affected, directly or indirectly. Mm-hmm. Sure. If you know, if not by sex addiction, then by addiction in another form. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really, really important that we address it in non-moralistic, non-stigmatizing, in open, generous, gracious ways, mm-hmm. in uh, to approach addicts the way uh, Jesus did. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, not to be all uptight and Pharisaical about it. And that opens the door to conversation and to greater authenticity. And if there's one thing we can use more of in the workplace and in church, any place we are, it's more authenticity. If I can come yeah. out of hiding, mm-hmm. stop pretending, and actually bring my real self into the room and enjoy real connection, mm-hmm. that's going to yeah. meet the emotional need that's driving my self-destructive behavior anyway. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and man, the church ought to be the first place we can do that. It seldom well, is, but... Yeah. 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 If we yeah. could, if we could see that, uh, become the, the, the norm, um, or the accepted way of relating, uh, mm-hmm. in the church, maybe that would answer, uh, a lot of, uh, things that is, uh, <laughs> perplexing yeah. the church right now. Like why people yeah. aren't, uh, yeah. really excited about being a part of it. And, uh, so. Yeah. And if more pla- pastors could get themselves into therapy and talk mm-hmm. about it, as a way to destigmatize it, it might encourage more of their uh, parishioners who need it, those who need mm-hmm. it, to take mm-hmm. the step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I do hope that the the filming that we did last week, uh, it'll be another six weeks or so before editing is done. But we're going to make those freely available, widely yeah. available. It's not a money making thing. We're just going to give it away. I just hope we can open more doors to authenticity and freedom and Mm -hmm. healing to more people. Yeah. And even conversation, even if people, (laughs) even if you piss people off with what you're asking of them, you know, and they can get in touch with you and say, you know, what, what is, you know, what are you saying? What are you trying to accomplish with this? And all that stuff that, you know, people go down those roads and it at least opens conversation and says, we recognize that something's not, happening here that we're mm-hmm. we're missing um an opportunity here so 
I don't know. I'm excited for you. Excited for us. Excited for people yeah. to get to experience it. So, well, hey, uh, we've got a we've got a, a great guest today. A guy who his face is familiar to me. We have lived and we we've been around each other a lot, but mm-hmm. I've not. Uh, I've never had a deep conversation with him. I think you already have talked with this guy more than I have. Yeah. Uh, In fact, he used to share space uh, in the same building I was in before we both found other offices. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, So now you've moved, what, a hundred yards apart or something? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Just around the block, but there you are. Okay. All right. You're going to like this guy. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Well, we didn't have to go too far this week to find our guest, David. That's true. Uh, (laughs) Kind of went around the block, actually. (laughs) Yeah. And it, Unfortunately, our listeners can't see him, uh, but I used to see this guy all the time when I was living in Franklin, because although his office is not there, he tends to haunt uh, my favorite town there quite often. Mm -hmm. So uh, Blake (laughs) Roberts is joining us. How are you doing, uh, Blake? I'm good. I'm I'm doing really well. I'm glad to be here. Um, Yeah, just a couple uh, houses down the street from you, just running into each other, walk in, and uh, I think during COVID was when we were... Um, was when I was living out there and you, you were still there. So I think we saw yeah. each other quite a bit outside on those walks when we were trapped. In trap. <laughs> we certainly did. We certainly did. Um, so Blake, you are uh, a therapist in private practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you deal mostly with men. Uh, our listeners are always fascinated to hear the backstory. What is that long and winding road that got you into this game? How did Blake Roberts wind up as a therapist and not uh, a professional football player, a male model, a pastor, a, a contractor. How come you wound up where you are? Um, oh, that's funny that you used those all except the, the model and contractor were actually things that I thought I would be in. Um, I, played, <laughs> I played football. I played football in college. And OK, and, and I was you could pull into... off the male model. You're, you're, uh, yeah. Yeah. You're a fine looking man. Yeah. Maybe it's the mustache. Um, OK. And I was going to go into church ministry. So I thought um, if it weren't for some experiences I had um, behind the scenes of that, that weren't quite what I thought that they would be. Um, no, you mean you had to, <laughs> we'll, we'll have you, we'll you have won't you go into church shocker. drama today. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah. be, we'll have you back when we can do an entire uh, episode on that. So that will yeah. all be uh, yeah. weighing yeah. in, yeah. I'm sure. So. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I was actually thinking about that question on the way here this morning. And um, like, I, I think most of us that um, struggle with addiction and have a recovery story, um, you might say that I was a little bit predisposed to uh, having my own recovery story. I come mm-hmm. from a long family line of addiction, um, gambling, alcohol, sex addiction. Um, it makes me think of that book, Epigenet, uh, uh, or it didn't start with you, which I'm sure you all are familiar with, mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. study of epigenetics and DNA and, and how all of that um, factors in. So I guess I in some ways didn't have a chance um, Mm -hmm. to not have a recovery story. Um, But particularly just grew up in a pretty um, dysfunctional, I guess you could say, um, family system and um, parents that just had a lot of relational issues and had their own uh, addiction of their own that Mm -hmm. they weren't in active recovery with. which, you know, just kind of set the stage for loneliness and um, all of the things that uh, kind of come before the ways that you start to find things that help fulfill or help fill those gaps. Um, Mm. And so for me, that looked like, um, looked like alcohol, but particularly it looked like pornography um, Mm -hmm. and um, more of the sexual side of things and um, the ways that I, uh, you know, it was something that I could feel and also something that helped me not feel. 
Mm -hmm. Sure. Really strange paradox. Um, mm -hmm. Now, did you grow up system. in a religious environment, Blake? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Grew up okay. In, grew up in church. Um, you know, I since I was little, um, I yeah. started playing the drums around two, just because I was at church all the time. And, um, okay. So yeah, Christian tradition uh -huh. um, is what I grew up in, and uh, I'm sure that has. So did the porn use complicate that? Did that 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 introduce kind of an extra psychological sure. wrinkle? Sure, right. Sure, yeah, yeah. It's you know the nothing that was really talked about, um, mm -hmm. and uh, but yet there was shame there uh, because it was sort mm -hmm. of talked about in circles, but in a very indirect way, or maybe it was just talked about yeah. in the old you know accountability, you know wristband right. on your wrist type of type of approach. Um, yeah, not the approach I take now, um, which is very more gentle and curious. And um, so, yeah, that definitely played a part in the uh, the hiding, I guess, of it, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, which we all know as where shame, uh, which is a very big piece of my story, operates the best is in the mm -hmm. dark. Um, yep. So, yeah, for sure for sure had an effect on it. And, and that was, you know, part of my story really through, through high school, through college. Um, I was kind of the cliche double life, uh, yeah. person of being in church and in youth group and, um, very active and, you know, kind of the right. person that had it all together on the outside, yeah. uh, but was, um, very lonely and filled with shame on the inside. And that lasted through college and, until I, um, well, and it turned into a lot of other things. It turned into a, a suicide attempt in high school, which. Oh, really? Into, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm not saying that is a direct correlation to that specific issue, but the way I think of it now is there was just so much happening within me mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. the pornography use and all those things were, um, you know, <laughs> I used to think about it as just a coping mechanism, but um, I'm sure a lot of familiar or listeners are familiar with um, Jay Stringer's work. And I think you guys have maybe even had him on here. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Sure. Talks about it is that it's not just a coping mechanism, but in a way of a reenactment of yes. um, the trauma that we experience. And so um, I think it was a combination of just all the stuff that was living inside me that wasn't processed, wasn't attuned to all of those things. Mm -hmm. um, and the pornography use, the things that were attempting to kind of relieve some of that wasn't enough until, you know, one day it got to the point where another part of me, um, mm -hmm. get into why I use that language later, um, thought that that might be um, a good option just because it was it was so much. Um, sure. And, and, you know, I would think I thought then that that part of my story getting to that piece would be kind of the light bulb moment of like, okay, something's going on. I need some, mm -hmm. I need some help here. Um, and, and it, it maybe did in some degree, but, um, it sure didn't stop the, the things that I was participating in. Mm -hmm. Um, and and it really didn't start to change until after college um well i met my now wife when i was in college and she was somebody who grew up in counseling and um that world was very familiar to her and her uh -huh. family and not uh -huh. so much mine and so um it wasn't a it wasn't a prerequisite for us to date that i be in therapy um but it was encouraged uh, mm -hmm. and when I, moved, <laughs> when I moved to Nashville, actually, before we got engaged, I started seeing a, a therapist and started to work through, um, not just my behavior, but my family of origin and yeah. family system and how that might be playing a part in all this. And, uh, through that, um, got encouraged by him, uh, kindly encouraged to go to a sort of treatment intensive, uh, here in Nashville. And, uh, that after that experience propelled me into 12 step recovery. Um, and 
you know, that actually led me, I remember, I think it was maybe eight years ago, um, going on a Samson society retreat. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that has been, I'd say for the last close to a decade, I guess has been, um, Mm -hmm. my journey in the recovery world, which through all of that work kind of helped me name this. I always had this desire to help people, as I mentioned earlier, from when I yeah. the church ministry, I never knew that it would look like what I'm doing now, uh-huh. mm-hmm. but through my own sort of uh, deep work and being in therapy and pulling back the layers started to mm-hmm. discover that that was really energizing to, uh-huh. to be in yeah. the depths. And as I talked about that, I started to realize that, that that's not energizing for everybody. <laughs> so I thought, pay attention to this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Blake, and, uh, when did you, when and how did you know that this may not be something that's going to go away um, on its own without mm-hmm. some help, some intervention? You mentioned, you know, getting into this intensive, but how did you know? Because yeah. um, I, I know a lot of us and a lot of people that I see, uh, there's this hope that until the last possible, you know, mm-hmm. uh, thing is burning down that, uh, maybe we could handle this on our own. I mean, what was your experience with kind of the crossroads there? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, the intensive experience was really interesting for me because I practically was sort of in a, in a good place. And I use that word good lightly, but in comparative mm-hmm in comparison to the people that I was there with, mm-hmm. most of whom yeah. were much older than me, who were kind of like, you know, the shit had really hit the fan for them. They mm-hmm. didn't know if they were going to go back to their marriage or yeah. they had gotten right. legal trouble and they were there. And yeah. I was, you know, uh, God bless her. I was there. My wife and I weren't even engaged yet. And I had like little encouraging letters to open up for each day talking about how proud she was of me. And, mm. and wow. so I'm really, I'm really grateful for the place I was in and how early I got introduced to that. Mm-hmm. And not, but, and it also sort of um, fed into this kind of narrative that I didn't quite know yet, which is like, I don't really, I'm not like these guys. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't really yeah. have this type of issue. So I think <laughs> even when I was there, I didn't quite know yet or believe that this is something that isn't going to go away. I sort of had the mindset of, to be honest, of like, I'm, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've caught, I've caught this thing before it got too big, which uh-huh. is really funny to think of like my history and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. all yeah. the prior ways of acting out. Like it, <laughs> I didn't catch anything before anything. Uh-huh. Um, but so I would say it wasn't until um, maybe even, a, I think even early in recovery, I still had mm-hmm. the kind of mindset of like, okay, like this is, I'm doing the right things to sort of nip this in the butt and figure out the practical ways to get rid of this thing. Um, and I would say getting into therapy and becoming a client of um internal family systems therapy, which as I mm-hmm. mentioned before we started recording, um, you all had Jenna at, how did you say her last name? Nate? Oh, Ramirezma. Yeah. Ramirezman, episode 109, talking about internal family systems, which I would encourage people to go back and listen to because she's really brilliant in that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this new way of looking at these issues as um, not something bad that I need to get rid of, but something that I can be curious about and and become compassionate for um, really started to change my perception of maybe this isn't kind of to your question, something I need to get rid of, but something I just need to understand at a deeper level and develop a new relationship with. Mm-hmm. So like now the way I think of it and the way I work with my clients is um, say a, a part of me that found um, pornography as a, means to do whatever it was doing. Um, I don't necessarily look at that as something that I need to get rid of, which historically I did. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even some of the, even, I don't know how people feel about this in the addiction world, but even some of the language with a 12 step recovery, like getting mm-hmm. rid of character defects, I've, I struggled with. And so 
you know, just kind of adapted that for me instead of character defects I need to get rid of, like things that I'm doing that I don't like mm-hmm. and being really curious about what those things are trying to do for me and what they're afraid will happen if I, like, what am I afraid will happen if I don't go look at porn? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's a very different um, way. I don't know. It's, for me personally, it's really helped the reduction of shame um, yeah. and invited me into a whole new kind of relationship with myself. And so now those parts of me that historically had the desire to go look at pornography, like those parts of me are still there. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I'm developing a different relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And now they can help me turn toward like that desire, when that desire initially comes up, kind of like what Jay talks about, you know, pornography, you could say maybe it's like desire gone mad. Like I'm starting <laughs> to discover and helping clients discover what those original desires are. And then how would you want to get those met today in a way that's not damaging to your life or, you know, pushes yeah. you further away from your spouse or. So that was a long answer to your question, David. You that's know, I love. Yeah, 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 yeah. There is, it, it, for a long time, it was accepted as gospel that you couldn't recover until you had, quote, hit bottom, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so really everything had to go to hell. And anybody who offered help in the meantime was actually hurting you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we could understand that you hit bottom when you stop digging, mm-hmm. uh, and that can be at any time. So you can be high bottom or low bottom, right? Whenever mm-hmm. you turn around. And uh, I really appreciate Jay Stringer's insight mm-hmm. that, that when we approach this unwanted behavior with curiosity, it can become a bridge rather than a barrier to wholeness. Hmm. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I love it when Jay says we're never more honest than when we're using pornography. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Right. Yeah, Holy right. smokes. Right. So the question is, why am I doing this? What am I after? What's the need? Yeah. And mm-hmm. what's the yeah. And that part of me, I, I'll be I, I'll be frank. I still uh, have not wrapped my head and heart completely around the parts work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tend to think conceptually of myself, you know, as a unified whole mm-hmm. rather than, uh, you know, although, you know, my experience is <laughs> that much like Paul, the apostle, the thing I don't want to do, I do. And the thing I want to do, I can't right. stop doing. And there seems right. to be competing impulses within me. And I can shift states. And I do know that acting out is, for me, dissociative. So obviously Mm -hmm. there are parts there. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, how new was the intern? You started out looking at, if I understood you correctly, Blake, in your Mm -hmm. therapy, you started, first of all, looking at the family system, which produced Mm -hmm. you. And then at some point, you were introduced to the concept of the internal family system. Mm-hmm. That's that you had perhaps to some degree internalized some of that family system. And then that there are parts where how did you walk us through kind of how you came to that insight and how it's opened up for you? Because I'm still working on that myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me make a note to come back to your question. And before I do that, what you said about how it's not still quite sitting with you, this idea of the parts and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think is, I think is great because, and I think part of how I've been thinking about recovery recently too, is there's sort of an equivalent. And I think David and I, we talked about this a little bit before, mm-hmm. which is just because IFS works really well for a lot of people. It, mm-hmm. like, you, like you said, Nate, it's not the gospel. It's not the end all. Right. Be right. All. It yeah. works for some and it, and it doesn't work for others. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think there can kind of be sometimes in my experience, this, this language or this kind of narrative within um, recovery or 12 step recovery, like there is no doubt that it has worked for thousands of people over many years. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that I'm, that I have some, you know, new uh, thing that's better than 12 step recovery, but there can be sort of this narrative within that's like, if it's not, if something's not working for you within the context of the way that this thing has been structured, then, yeah. then you must just not really be doing recovery right. 
Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, right. And, you know, addiction comes out of trauma. Trump, so like trauma is universal, but it's also deeply personal. Like there's some universal yes. things that we can understand about it. But, you know, if, if the three of us had experienced the same situation, it would we would have very different experiences about it. So then to me, that says that recovery or addiction is is universal, but it's also deeply personal. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the way that the 12 steps work, I know we're just talking about 12 steps. I know there's other forms of addiction recovery, but just my experience with it, that may work for you. It may not work for me entirely. Um, mm-hmm. And there is something to be said about getting into recovery early on and sort of, you know, following and listening to the people who have gone before you because you're not in your right mind, so to speak, to mm-hmm. kind of make those decisions. Like that's that's needed. But then, you know, eventually as you recover, not just get sobriety, but recover, then it, it should, I think, become something that um, is really yours and that mm-hmm. like invitation kind of to experience yourself in a very different way. So back to your question then about what was it like for me? Um, mm-hmm. I remember when I first experienced it in therapy, um, personal therapy, I was, there was something that was kind of like really strange about the idea to me because it just, I never heard of it talked about that way. There's also yeah. something that really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what resonated was just this, you know, idea that there are multiple times where, like I said, in the beginning of this recording, um, parts of me were really excited about this, mm-hmm. so really good about it, really believe mm-hmm. in my voice, right. And all the, in my story that's gotten me to this point, mm-hmm. there are also parts of me that are scared, really scared, but mm-hmm. really, really inadequate. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think historically I would just kind of try to ignore those, the second yes. parts that I just mentioned and, um, or just kind of like fight them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's been really helpful for me is to be able to slow down and just like I would with my, I mean, my, my child isn't old enough yet to have this kind of conversation, but ideally like I would with my child to slow down when they're doing something that maybe they don't like, or that I don't like, and just be really curious with them and really compassionate mm-hmm. and really kind. Um, and even so the parts of me that question or like maybe don't understand the IFS model, because I still have those mm-hmm. parts. Every time I introduce it with a client, there's a part of me that's like, they're going to think I'm crazy. And this is actually really stupid. And even mm-hmm. though it's evidence-based, it's still just because it's strange and it's, and it's different. Yeah. Um, but even that for me, go ahead. No, don't, no, go ahead. You were about to say something. Well, for I was going to say, even that for me is, is really less about not knowing if the model works and more about well, what is this person going to think about me that I'm introducing something that might make them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So in that way, it's just really invited me to, um, a, a, I keep saying this language, but a, a deeper connection and like a kinder experience with myself, which has not been, you know, majority of my experience because of my acting out behavior has been filled with shame and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, content towards myself and and all those things. Yeah. So I hope that answers your question, Nate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Blake, you work a lot with, um, men who struggle similarly or with other uh, parts of mental health and, and that it manifests itself in different ways. And, um, but doing parts work with men, it sounds like you have a, uh, there, there's some empathy, excuse me, based on, pardon me, uh, empathy based on your own experience and explanation there about your, your, uh, feeling very vulnerable when you talk about parts work because of Mm -hmm. your own, Mm -hmm. you know, certain experiences about it, but how do men, uh, make peace with talking about, you know, this part of them that is like the child or vulnerable parts, vulnerable voices. When most of the time I'm, 
I, I experience men to come in trying to present as very competent, except for this one little shitty part of their life that they want me to help them fix, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, instead of, you know, cause everybody wants to lead with competence and confidence and all that stuff. But how do, how do you help guys uh, understand that that vulnerable, you know, for me, the nine-year-old Baptist boy that is scared of everything, uh, you know, that there's got to be some compassion and integration and all that. How do you, how do you get guys there? Hmm. That's a great question. And, and, um, I would say it's, it's, I wish I could give you an easy answer. <laughs> yeah, no, this said, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me that in 30 some, seconds or less, right? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe with some clients it's easier or easier than others. Um, but so to get them there, um, I really have to, like me as the therapist, really have to um, believe in that. So if, if I'm trying to help somebody, let's say, have compassion toward their nine-year-old self, like you mentioned, and understand kind of what he was going through and, and mm-hmm. how that may be shaping him now, then like I really have to believe um, in that nine-year-old boy and also believe in these parts that are of this guy that are protecting that nine-year-old boy that they're that they're doing something really important and so it as it present if it presents as like kind of this competent or um cockiness even or like mm-hmm. i don't really have any issues um that can be really like hard to work with because it's like come on man mm-hmm. <laughs> but understanding that those parts that present that way um are working really hard to because because for him to connect with that younger version of himself is 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 really vulnerable. Okay. So like for me, when I say that there are parts of me that feel really inadequate about uh, this conversation, even um, to for me to really face that means that I also have to come face to face with the the ways that. Uh, I felt deeply inadequate growing up, right? Because to believe in myself now means that I have to become familiar with and friends with um, the stories that uh, played a part in me not believing in myself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And so helping guys slow down and become connected with their body, especially working with guys who are struggling with sex addiction, because there can be this very dis, this very disconnect from their body. Um, I think you guys had somebody. Isn't that say, ironic? Isn't that ironic? Yes, it is because it, because mm-hmm. it's connecting, but it's disconnecting at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which let me share a story real quick, if I can, um, about oh, that. Please. I was talking, talking with a friend recently, um, who's been in recovery and, um, he was uh, he was taking a shower, and he had this urge all of a sudden to um, to like maybe masturbate with conditioner because historically mm-hmm. that had been the way that um, pre recovery that had been kind of like his ritual, mm-hmm. shower, right? Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. And this is a guy who's familiar with um, parts work or not. It doesn't even really matter. Familiar with being curious about these parts of him instead of rejecting them or fighting them. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so he is in the shower and he's having this moment and you know, there's the urge that kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, and then he starts to go, okay, well, if this urge came out of nowhere, let me be curious about what's happening externally around me. Okay? Mm-hmm. I'm overwhelmed by this or that, or I'm really, I was really anxious earlier today. Um, and so here's all of a sudden this part of me that's like, Oh, I know what to do here. Mm-hmm. And, instead of fighting it, um, instead of attempting to ignore it, because what we do know is that typically when you try to ignore or fight something, it just makes it worse feelings. Yep. Um, yep. Your engine light on your car, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Where you ignore it, the worse it gets. Um, so he starts to be curious about like this desire to touch himself Mm -hmm. and, um, so then he starts to wonder and wonder what it would be like, or I wonder if I could even experience touch in a way that isn't shameful. And mm-hmm. because he had this, this kind of new way of thinking or being curious about. And so then he just started, you know, continue to wash his body and his hair 
and he was just very intentional about it. He's telling me, yeah. like, I just noticed what it felt like as I washed my body or as I washed mm -hmm. my hair, I noticed the sensation, um, which, you know, maybe normally you would just be thinking about a million other things and going through. It sure. Quick. Right. Right. And he said, yeah. he said the weirdest thing to me after this was that it, it didn't feel sexual to him. Um, it wasn't even arousing, but it felt very grounded and very connecting to himself. Mm. Wow. Um, because he was able to experience touch in a way that was integrating for him, mm -hmm. which historically touch kind of like what we're saying, isn't that crazy was very shameful, right? Because mm -hmm. it involved masturbation to porn or, or whatever. Um, and then he even shared it with some people that he knew and processed it and even processed it with his wife. And so that became this thing that was very connecting to him and the people around him, which then posed this question. And I don't know, this is kind of anecdotal. Maybe there's research around it that I'm just not familiar with, but it made me wonder what if the desire or the urge to say masturbate, if that's something you don't want to do is not necessarily just about fantasy or like a physical release, but what if it's the desire to just experience connection with your body? experience connection mm -hmm. with yourself in a different way. Mm -hmm. And when, when we don't know how to do that in a healthy way, right. Mm -hmm. That's not something that's talked about in our family. We don't talk about sex. We don't talk about your body and your relationship with it. Then we're going to learn ways to do that. And it's just going to come out sideways. So that, that story came to my mind when they, when you were saying, isn't that crazy that it's, it's connecting, but it's yes. just at the same time. And I think that story is a pretty good example of how it, can mm -hmm. with this framework of curiosity and compassion, how it can become something that's more connecting rather than disconnecting and shameful. I love that story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was really interesting. It made me think a lot. Yeah. It amazes me how, you know, early on in recovery, I really came into recovery, tried to come into recovery head first, right? I'm going to outthink this thing. And frankly, the most difficult question uh, that anybody posed to me during those early years was, what are you feeling? I had no freaking idea. And then they would say something absolutely insane like, where is that in your body? <laughs> Good. What are you talking about? You know, uh -huh. Yeah. I, you yeah. know, I'm kind yeah. of like the Cheshire cat, just this floating head. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then really... Uh, this, this is where the somatic work is so powerful. And yeah. yeah, and I suppose that there is also now going to be a connection to this internal family system stuff because it's not just those parts, are, I imagine, are not all just between my ears, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Because yeah, we right. even. <laughs> one, of the, one of the most helpful things, and maybe the, we can, if we're about to wrap up, I can end with this. One of the most helpful things that I learned kind of about the body and the emotions is that we experience emotions first in our body. Mm -hmm. Shoots up our vagus nerve to our brain, and then our brain makes sense of that felt feeling with the information it has. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of us have incorrect information or just missing information about feelings, about emotions. So if I feel something that like makes me sad mm -hmm. and it was, I was told, you know, you're not allowed to like, stop crying or whatever, mm -hmm. <clears throat> then it's, then it's going to shoot up and my brain's going to go, oh, this isn't, this is one of those feelings that we're not allowed to have. So then it's going to shoot back down our body and say, this is how we respond. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the somatic work is really important to A, be able to even identify yeah, what I'm feeling, where I'm feeling, so then I can learn to regulate those feelings. Well, and it's an important thing on a on a just a physical health level as well, because like I have a friend that just went to the doctor recently, and basically the physician said, um, "What is going on with you physically is real, but we can't find any physical origin for it," and mm -hmm. so we believe the causality is emotional and um, stress related and so on and so forth. Uh, a lot of, a lot of emotional things intertwined with this visit and, and that yeah. drove this friend to 
experience, you know, help. But but he said, you know, he the but the doctor was very clear. He said, you know, he said, don't hear me say, you know, this is you know, this quote, uh, psychosomatic thing, or I'm trying to say you're a hypochondriac, because that's what everybody goes to when they hear me say this. But he said, there's mm-hmm. a physical thing going on with you that I see, but the origins of it, we don't, we can't find. And yeah, given mm-hmm. the story you're telling me, I'm very convinced that it's emotionally based in its origins. And so here's what I want you to consider. And then, you know, the therapy talk and the all that. But I think, you know, I mean, it is it is important because, you you know, we all need our heart. We all need our uh, our uh, digestive system to operate uh, properly. We all need all those places where it shows up. And uh, uh, so anyway, yeah, it is it isn't just that, you know, even the mental health piece, whatever all, you know, we want to encompass that. But uh, but just even our physical being. Mm hmm. Yeah, the body really does keep the score. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, for those of our listeners who, uh, let me ask you this. Do you work just in person or do you do some telehealth uh, work as well? Could guys work with you uh, remotely? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do some telehealth. Um, I, you know, kind of what we're talking about with the the body and all that, um, Mm -hmm. I I think it, it is in my opinion, more effective in person, but it's mm-hmm. not ineffective virtually, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, okay. uh, yeah, so I can see, um, as of right now, um, just folk, folks that reside in Tennessee and, and maybe some other states It kind of, there's some weird rules that allow it in certain states and not others right now. Mm-hmm. Virtually. Um, but yeah, I do see in person and virtual. All right. For those of our listeners who would like to get in touch with you, Blake, what's mm-hmm. the best way for them to do that? Best way would be just my website, blakerobertscounseling.com. You can learn a little bit more about kind of my approach um, and contact me there or um, just shoot me an email, which is just hello at blakerobertscounseling.com. All right. Easy to remember. Yeah. (laughs) Well, hey, it's been great to have this conversation with you, and we're going to have to I'm going to be out of town now for a few weeks, but we're going to have to, you and I have tried a few times in the last year to get together for coffee and it hasn't worked. Let's figure out a way to do that. Blake, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Our guest was Blake Roberts, a therapist here in the greater Nashville area, uh, a friend. And Nate, it was exciting to get to see Blake uh, talk from the therapist chair. So to, mm-hmm. uh, I've known Blake for a, a period of time and um, and and even partly uh, got to experience him kind of walking through his credentialing and uh, all yeah. of that to get uh, into his practice. And uh, it is just exciting to see uh, where he's landed and the people that are finding him. Um, mm-hmm. Got a really healthy uh, caseload now uh, of people wow. and, and people that are uh, very similar to one another in the demographic. So mm-hmm. uh, anyway, I'm, I'm very excited about his, his work and uh, I appreciate his uh, vulnerability and his uh, gentle uh, approach on something yeah. that's pretty hard to talk about for some people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a very calming presence and easy guy to talk to. Uh, uh, and you know what? I love seeing this. So many guys go through this process and it seems like there's more every year. You know, they start with their own recovery journey. And mm-hmm. then at some point they find that that service is a major part of recovery. And they start serving and helping others. And then they, and, and then some of them go on to become certified coaches. Uh, others actually go through the credentialing process to become licensed therapists. Mm-hmm. And, and then this thing that, you know, they kept hidden from themselves and for others for so long actually becomes the driver that makes them most useful to their fellow human beings. Yeah. Uh, I get the sense that Blake and you 
and to a lesser degree me because I'm not a therapist, but we're, we're doing really at this point what I believe we were made to do and intended to do and what we're equipped to do, at least in mm. this phase of our lives. Yeah. And that's a fulfilling thing. I love to see it in other people. Mm-hmm. And I love to wake up with a sense of purpose myself. Yeah. Yeah. I had a client tell me the other day, he said, I know, I knew that I was getting better when I, I was in a situation and I just casually mentioned what I deal with, um, identified myself in a particular way and then Mm -hmm. moved on. Didn't make a big, uh, excuse. Didn't have to do what I thought was damage control or backpedaling or explaining you know, to death. Um, he said, I just knew I was getting better when I could just say, mm, this is who I am, where I am, what I deal with, and then kind of yeah. move on with the rest of what he, the point he was making. And he said, I knew that was a, a mile marker for me, Yeah, you know, and, Absolutely. and people doing work, uh, like what Blake is doing certainly, mm-hmm. uh, help people find that integrated, uh, cause it only, you, you can only get there if you're in that integrated space, you know, mm-hmm. of identifying. And, uh, yeah. and so that's so, so important. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's been a it's been a wonderful conversation. It's great to see you again, David. Likewise. Uh, we'll be we'll have more of these conversations in the weeks ahead. Although I will be farther away and probably warmer than you for the next. Yeah. Week. If you could keep the palm trees out of the uh, the view <laughs> of, of your background, that would just uh, probably help my resentment level of. <laughs> <laughs> immensely as I'll probably be freezing again somewhere before the winter's over here. So. All right. Okay. Yeah. I won't put, I won't push it in your face <laughs> much, much, much. Okay. There you go. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode of the positive sobriety podcast. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can always reach us at positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com with any reaction, any suggestions. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Until next time then, I'm Nate. And I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford. 